Um, well, as we get started here, just a couple more things I want to draw your attention to before we hop into what we have for this morning. Uh, one, let me see which one I'm going to do first. Okay, I'll do this one first. So uh, I think either tomorrow or this week sometime, you're actually going to get another survey. Uh, we're going to start trying to kind of gather information in regards to, um, you know, at some point this meeting in the park is going to run its course. Um, and so we're going to want to start looking at meetings somewhere else besides the park. And so we're going to start to gather information about that, about times that you would be available to meet, uh, times that you would prefer to meet, um, and then also just comfort level with meeting inside at a building, comfort level with kids and whatnot. Right now we're looking at most likely being in the park through October just to enjoy this beautiful weather a, a bit more um, and because it's really, again, our best case scenario right now. Uh, and we realize, you know, we're asking questions for, you know, November, beginning of November, and who knows what the news is going to be at the beginning of November. But, you know, as best we can tell, we're going to gather that information now um, and, and go from there. But a couple things about that. One, this is, you know, I mean, one, thank you for just how gracious, how kind, how understanding you've been. Um, obviously, you know, you're here helping plant a church, so you're you know, those kinds of folks who are gracious and kind and uh, helpful in that way. And then in the midst of this pandemic, you've been that way as well. And so just continue, you know, we continue to ask that of you and continue to ask that of ourselves as we try to sort through uh, what's best, uh, how to serve as many people as we can and make the best decisions we can. Uh, so, um, yeah, and, and as we get this information from you, it's, it's just uh, going to be kind of one piece uh, that we try to pray about, consider as we move forward and try to make decisions. So uh, I just want to say, it's not like a vote. It's not like vote on your favorite thing to do. It's like, hey, where are you at? Where's your family at? Uh, give us that information that we can know uh, where our people are at and pray and use that as we consider uh, best steps uh, to move forward. And then secondly, just because of uh, planting a church and a handful of things I've done, I'm really closely connected to a lot of people that are planting churches and I have two friends who are launching churches this morning. Uh, and so we're going to take a moment just to, to pray for those churches. Uh, one is Trailview Church. Uh, Derek Kimes is the lead pastor, and they're actually planting in South Fort Worth. So if you know of people in, that live and are around uh, South Fort Worth, Burleson area, uh, that'd be a great uh, church for them to check out. Uh, and then another church is a church that, as Northbrook, and even in our little infant church planting stage, we've been able to support. Uh, it's uh, Springfield Church. It's right outside of Jacksonville, Florida. It's Cedric Lochner. Uh, he's planting a church out there in, uh, in Springfield, Florida. And so I'm actually just going to, you know, Cedric and them will be uh, meeting here in about an hour. Um, and then uh, Derek and them will be as well. And so I'm just going to take a moment to pray for them, ask God to bless them and move and all the things we're wanting God to do here, we're going to pray for for them uh, as well. And so um, I'll, I'll continue to, you know, again, here in a few weeks, we'll talk about church planning as part of our mission statement. And so one of the things we want to work into the life of our church uh, is being about what God is doing in uh, starting uh, new works and new churches uh, in areas that have lots of churches but need a new one to reach new nooks and crannies of that area and, and areas that have no churches where uh, they need a gospel presence. And so um, let, me, uh, let me pray for us and pray for them, uh, and then we'll hop into to what we have this morning. Uh, Father, we, we thank you that you are uh, about your church, that you sent Jesus to die for your church, that your church is precious to you. Uh, that, uh, to be honest with you, even as Christians, is, is often how we can feel uh, derogatory or negative about your church and your people. Uh, you just aren't that way at all. 
Uh, you see it for the treasure it is. Uh, you, you treasure it so much, again, that you sent Jesus to live and to die and to rise, and now he reigns and rules and is the head of the church even now. And so even as I pray for these two churches, I take so much great comfort and pray that Derek and Cedric would take comfort that Jesus, that you are the head of the church, uh, that they are not, that their church is not, but that you are, um, and that they can go in great confidence and great humility and great authority uh, because you are the head of the church. Um, and Spirit, we just pray that you bless them. Bless this first day as they launch these, these new churches, that it would be a sweet time, a sweet gathering of your people to praise your name, to glorify your name, to, to worship you enthroned on high. Uh, we pray that you would save. We pray that you would open eyes by the beauty and power of your Holy Spirit to the beauty of this gospel that we know and love, that you would do that in Springfield, Florida, that you would do that in uh, South Fort Worth, and God, that you would do that here in North Fort Worth through Northbrook Church. And so we, we pray all this knowing that this is the work that you do, and so we ask it expectantly in Jesus' name. Amen. Am I good? Dan's giving me signs to do something with my mic. Are we good now? You can just come play with it if you want. I was kind of joking, but uh, I guess, yeah, here we are. This is exciting. Yeah. See, it's not as easy as you thought. Yeah. There you go. Oh, there we go. That sounds better. Okay, so week three of our series, Missio Day, as, uh, man, that is a lot louder now. There we go. Good. Uh, as Randy was talking about, which is just this Latin phrase, which means mission of God, where we're going through Northbrook's mission statement, which uh, I'm not going to have you say it with me yet, but at some point we'll, we'll say it together. Uh, Northbrook is just the people striving to enjoy God, make disciples, uh, and plant churches. And so uh, the last two weeks, we talked about that first part, uh, enjoying God, and we dwelt on Matthew 13, 44, and just considered, okay, what does it look like for us to treat the kingdom of God as if it's this treasure hidden in a field, as if God is there to be enjoyed. How do we, how do we go about doing that? And now uh, we're really going to turn uh, our attention to this next statement, which is simply uh, make disciples. And as we'll see here in a minute, this, this statement comes straight from the mouth of the resurrected uh, Jesus before he ascends uh, into heaven. But as we're dwelling in Matthew, and as we were in Matthew, the middle of uh, Matthew last week, and at the end this week, there's just so much that's gone on in this, uh, in this book that I want to kind of bring us up to speed. And I've thought about doing this at different times, and so I'm just going to take some time uh, to do it now and just kind of take a brief moment just to walk through the book of Matthew so we can kind of catch up to where we are in Matthew 28, the very last words of uh, the book of Matthew. And, and one of the things I wanted to say, this may sound like an excuse, and it actually may be one. I'm not sure. You can decide that for yourself. Uh, but as I think about preaching sermons, I think there's a couple of things that should be true. One, sermons should never be like seminary lectures, where we're just trying to transfer knowledge and talk uh, deeply about uh, the things of God in a way that's dry and removed. But sermons also are not just pure entertainment, where I'm just we're trying to just keep you engaged and keep it moving and keep it whatever. that It's never just one of those extremes or the other. And so I was thinking about even moments where we might be dwelling on the scriptures, that it's good just to learn how to dwell deeply on the scriptures. It's good to go through books of the Bible. It's good to, at times, lead through, read through long text of the scriptures. Um, and so we're going to read through all of Matthew. I'm just joking. Sorry. I just kind of, anyways. 
Uh, but, uh, but there are moments where, you know, a sermon might be drier than other moments. And those are moments where we can uh, try to, to stay zoned in, even as we, it's fine to watch people tee off at the disc golf tee box. But, um, but the Holy Spirit, even still in those moments, moves and works in, in a way that only he can do that. Um, and so, I was just, that's a little, I was just thinking about sermons and uh, the philosophy, some of the philosophy behind them, that we're not trying to just keep you engaged and entertained, uh, but also we don't want it to just be uh, this kind of seminary lecture either. But Matthew, we're catching up to it. So in chapters one and two, we see Jesus simply just arrive in history, that he added to his divinity, humanity, and was placed miraculously in the virgin womb of Mary uh, to be born. We see that in chapters one and two, and, and God does that as his means to communicate his love to the world and rescue his people. And then he grows up, before, grows up, and before he begins his public ministry, he goes into the wilderness with the devil himself uh, to be tempted in incredible ways, to be tempted by things that, to be honest with you, many of us spend our lives working for. Like Jesus was tempted in those very ways, and yet he resists the devil, resists that temptation uh, to secure his ability to be the perfect sacrifice that we need. And then in chapter 5, we see teaching like we've never seen it before. We see the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus just destroys legalism. Not by lowering the demand of the law, but by actually raising the bar of what the law means in all of our lives. Showing how none of us can keep it and showing our great need for a goodness that we could never earn and a goodness that we need him to earn for us. And he ends that sermon in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, where he says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it has been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall, the fall of it. And then in chapters 8, Jesus goes, 8 and 9, he goes on to show his power over all creation with healings and casting out demons and miraculous signs. Uh, he sends out his disciples to announce the message and the coming of this kingdom. Uh, he continues to show the Pharisees the error of their ways, and he teaches in parables. And then in chapter 17, we see Jesus transfigured, uh, talking with Moses and Elijah, preparing for his entry into Jerusalem. And then we see that, the triumphal entry that is known by as he enters into Jerusalem and he goes there and he teaches pretty harshly against the Pharisees and he, he laments over Jerusalem. And then in chapters 24 and 25, we see him preach what's known as the Olivet Discourse, where he's just speaking of the time where he will come back, come back again, his second time. That'll be a time of judgment. And he exhorts his people to be ready, to be watchful, to be prepared for that moment. And then he goes on uh, and we see him crucified in chapters 26 and 27. Um, we see all that goes on here. We see him uh, pray in uh, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we see him uh, sweat drops of blood from his agonizing prayers. Um, and then he say, we, see, we hear him say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. No, no more gracious words have ever been prayed. Um, and then he's arrested. He goes through a Jewish trial. Then he goes through a Roman trial. And then he's crucified, handed over to be crucified on the cross. 
And then obviously we see him on that cross, breathe his last, um, dying for the sins of the world. And then that, that all of that brings us to Matthew 28. Um, and you have just 16 through 20 on your page there, but I'm actually going to start in verse 1, and we'll just read uh, through the end. So Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met, met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. I'm sorry, I just have to stop. It's not part, but just what an opportunity they had there to hear of all that had happened, to hear the story that the guards told, but then for their really selfish and self-preservation to cloud over the miraculous uh, reality that they were just a part of. Anyways, and then in verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we're actually going to go through this last passage, the Great Commission, verses 16 through 20, over the next few weeks, which really gives us the opportunity to kind of treat it like it is, like this beautiful diamond that we get to kind of pick up and look at uh, from different angles. And, and this week, we're actually going to look at it from uh, the angle through the lens of evangelism. And next week, we'll look at it uh, through more the lens of Christian discipleship, and then the last week, church planting uh, and missions. And so as many of you probably know, evangelism just literally means sharing the good news. It's from a word that just literally means good news. Um, it's, it's the same word that the gospel comes from, that it, again, just this good news uh, that we get to share. And this is God's good news about God. It's his message. And this is what Jesus is telling us to do in this passage. He's saying, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples with a message I have given you, with the authority that I have, with my power and my presence alongside you, baptizing in my name, that it's my work of evangelism that, we're, that you are getting to enter into. It really is like the idea of a good dad just bringing their kids along to work with him. 
But that's really what the, the picture of evangelism is, that God is doing this work and we get to join him in the work that, that he is doing. But although evangelism is good news and Jesus has all authority and promised to be with us, it honestly doesn't often feel like that. And, and really, I don't think I have to convince almost any of us of that. Hopefully you've had some good experiences, but many of you maybe haven't. Um, and all of us feel it is one of the probably more awkward, harder things we do. And so I think it's actually important to kind of at least try to consider that. I'm not sure I can answer that perfectly, but at least kind of try to understand why it's one of the more awkward things that, that happens in the life of the Christian. And so I'm going to kind of think about two aspects of why this can be this can be hard. One is the, just the culture we're in, and then two is some of the ways that evangelism happens uh, by Christians. But speaking of uh, the culture real quick, I just want to offer a couple bad metaphors for evangelism of Christians. Uh, because again, this is just one of those words, it's one of those subjects that make Christians and non-Christians tense up. Uh, there, there are exceptions. I was talking to Randy actually just the other day, and he was playing golf with uh, a guy, and he, they got into a really easy, good conversation about the gospel, and it was just a, a really great experience, and we have those kinds uh, of moments, but for the most part, this often is something Christians don't want to do, although no, we know we ought, and it's something that non-Christians don't want to be done to them, um, and so it just kind of creates uh, this kind uh, of moment. Um, but let's see if we can do some diagnosis of why it's that way. One, one metaphor I hear that, th so these are two metaphors. You may like them. I really don't like them, so we can talk about that later. Uh, but one is like the sports team metaphor. It's like I've heard a lot of pastors like, you know, hey, why, you cheer so good for the Dallas Cowboys or the Texans, whoever, I think it was James, I'm sorry. Um, or the Rangers, you cheer like this for your sports team, why don't you get that excited uh, about God? And why don't you get that excited with other people about God and show them your excitement that they might see how much you really enjoy God. And to be honest with you, I just think it's comparing apples and oranges. I think we ha can be passionate and fervent about lots of different things in lots of different ways. But here's the other difference about uh, sports team and being excited about that. Everybody's okay with you being excited about your sports team. There is a reaction that people have to the message of the gospel that is dramatically different. And to not acknowledge that, that's, that, that's just where the metaphor kind of falls apart. That, that we should be more passionate about God than we are sports teams. So agree with the metaphor there. Uh, but, the, but the way we are passionate about God does not have to mirror the same way we cheer for the Dallas Mavericks or whoever else. But then also when it comes to sharing our faith, again, there's a, there's a reality that when we share our faith, there's a reaction that is much different than when we're talking about sports. And I think to not acknowledge that is not to be fair or true uh, to real life. Or the other metaphor, and this one, again, there's some truth to both of these that I agree on, but I think they fall apart pretty easily. It's the one like if you had the cure for cancer, you know, like we, if you had the cure for cancer, why wouldn't you go and tell everyone about that? Well, obviously that would be a really great idea and a really great thing to do if you had the cure for cancer to go and tell everybody about that. Um, and there is some similarity between uh, in the gospel that we do have in, that, in the cure for cancer and that the gospel is where life is found. It is the only way to be uh, reconciled to God. But again, if you have the cure for cancer, everybody wants that cure. Everybody's excited about hearing about that cure. Everybody's excited about, you know, finding out what that is. And many people want nothing to do uh, with the cure of the gospel. And again, so those metaphors, they just kind of fall apart and don't acknowledge really the hardness 
uh, that comes with, with sharing the gospel in the culture uh, that we find ourselves, which again, it doesn't mean it dissuades us from sharing the gospel, but it should be something we acknowledge in our desire to uh, share the gospel. Um, and in and, and all of that, we live in a culture that's growing increasingly hostile towards Christians and increasingly characterizing of Christians. Like, oh, you're a Christian? You, you're just, you know, they, they, you're a bigot? You believe in all these crazy things? That's, we live in a culture that's getting increasingly that way. And by increasingly, I just mean for our culture. Because there are times, hopefully we all know this, in history where it was actually much more hostile towards Christians than it is now in our culture. Um, obviously, there's times and there's still places in the world right now where it's much more hostile towards Christians uh, than it is in America, where people literally lose their lives for claiming uh, the faith. Um, and so, it, but, but we have to acknowledge the realities and the hardness of that. And then I think there's some unhelpful ways we go about. I'm just going to talk about some different kinds of evangelists. And let me just say this. I'm going to make fun of us as Christians because we should be able to do that. But here's the thing about like fumbling through evangelism and r- wrestling with some of these ways that we do it is much better than not doing it at all. But we all know the weird evangelist. We've all know people or had an experience with someone that was just really weird about evangelism. And again, uh, being weird is better than not doing it at all, but being weird is also weird. Um, and so we experience that. And, and weird might be because a Christian is just being uh, you know extremely awkward in how they share the gospel, or it could be... It could even be sometimes we get this label just because of how people react to it and we're not being weird at all, but they just think it's, it's really weird. Um, but one of the things it does is acknowledging that that's a reality is we know that that muddies the waters when we try to share our faith. When people have had experiences with people like that uh, or people have uh, shared the gospel in that kind of way. I've known people to be an angry evangelist. I was next to a guy one time when I was working at the post office and he was sharing his faith with a guy, which, you know, it was good, but uh, he was like sharing it out of frustration. And basically it just had the tone of, are you an idiot for not believing this? Um, and he was just kind of this angry kind of evangelist. And, um, and I was able to talk to him about that. And we had a good conversation about that. And I was able to talk to the guy that he shared his faith with. And, uh, but there's just, again, when these kinds of things happen, now that guy has that, had that experience and that's gonna muddy the waters when someone tries to share his faith with him Again, there's uh, the direct marketing evangelist. So direct marketing is a fine business strategy. I have no, nothing against it, but it is a horrible evangelism strategy. Um, I, I think of, I use this example a lot, but it's so good, so I have to. So sorry if you've heard it before. Um, but a while back, me and Ginger, we were newly married and we were walking into Walmart um, and uh, this guy and his daughter, like just kind of, I could tell they were kind of looking at us and they walked up to us and started talking to us and uh, like one of the first things they said were like, man, you look like really intelligent people. And obviously I thought he was really discerning at that point. Um, and I thought, yeah, he's probably got, he's, he's good. He knows what he's talking about. Um, and then he, he kind of said a couple things along that, those lines and we were just talking there for a second. And then, you know, kind of out of nowhere, he's like, hey, I've got this business opportunity I want to tell you about. And I was like, wow, how bold is that? Like just walking up to a stranger, puffing him up and then like, laying this business opportunity on me. So I gave him like a wrong number to an old church I used to work for. And um, um, I'm not sure I should have done that, but that's what I did. I was taken off. I was disoriented. I didn't know what to do. Um, I felt so good about myself and then so bad about myself. Um, and then, uh, but, but sometimes we do that with evangelism. Like it's just this kind of, uh, you know, next step or, or getting, getting someone in. And we just view it with this kind of business 
uh, mindset, um, and, and that, can, that affects people. Um, and then I think there's the, the missional evangelist, and that, that's a great word to use, but I'm using it in kind of a derogatory way. The person that uses the label of mission just to excuse a life of pursuing worldly desire with no real intentionality and no real desire to share the gospel with someone. Um, just the idea of I'm just going to be missional, just going to hang out with non-Christians as much as I can, uh, but then never really desire to share the gospel or never really get to the opportunity of actually trying to share who Jesus is and what he's done. Uh, just trying to be really good friends uh, with people and basically just there's no difference between their life and your life. And, and really just uh, it, it shows a lack of urgency that the, the Bible would scream at us in regards to this. Even Matthew 13 uh, the, around the parable of the hidden treasure, just talking about the reality of the coming judgment uh, and that there really is a literal end to this life where people will get to spend eternity with God or eternity separated from him. That there, there should be an urgency to uh, the relationships we have, the desire to, to share the gospel. And, and when we just try to build relationships with, oh, we'll see what happens and, and never really have any desire to actually share the gospel uh, with others, then it just kind of betrays that urgency. And this, and this urgency comes upon us. It comes upon us when we have friends that I just was talking to a, good, a really good friend recently and uh, he's 37 years old and he has surgery tomorrow because he was diagnosed with colon cancer. And as I was talking to him and uh, he, was, he was sharing that news with me and him and his sweet wife were there. And I, I just wanted to do nothing but show them how much I love them and hug them and, and like, care for them because that sense of urgency came upon me because the, the reality of death became closer, just became more real. And the scriptures actually put that reality before us again and again and again. They talk about our life is a mist, that it's a vapor. And, and it does that to tell us reality. That in, in many things, that uh, all things that are of, of God, especially evangelism, that there should be this sense of urgency uh, to that. The last, last kind of evangelist, uh, these last two aren't really evangelists, but it's the, the kind of just want more people to be Christians. This reminds me when I was younger, when I was a kid or even a teenager, and you just wanted more people to be Christians because it was, to be honest with you, based on my own comfort. Like I just wanted to be more comfortable with people. Or maybe, man, we just are uh, being consumed with famous people being Christians. Like we can kind of go crazy when someone famous professes faith or becomes a Christian. And we're like, oh my goodness, this is the best thing that could ever happen for the church. Um, as if Jesus really needed that. Um, but, it, but it's the desire for, it, it's, uh, I, I've known when people even desire to talk to other, you know, new people about Jesus, but it's more with the desire of finding out they're a Christian than finding out they're a non-Christian to try to build a relationship and share the gospel with them. Um, and again, it's more about our own comfort. And evangelism is about anything but our own comfort. Evangelism is about God and his glory and his word and his truth uh, and what he's doing in the world and how he's saving people. Um, if, you, if you read the scriptures, again, it tells us to count the cost. That, that not following God is, is anything but comfortable. It's joyous, it's beautiful, it's, it's exhilarating, it's all kinds of things. But the scriptures never tell us that it's comfortable. Um, and sometimes we, we want to we want more Christians to be Christian or more people to be Christians just so we can be comfortable. Um, I think about even you know the the neighborhoods we live in. Do we do we desire to get to know more and more non Christians in that neighborhood? Are we desire our neighborhood just to be full of Christians? And again, there's great. Obviously, we should. First John was all about how we should love one another, and from that love that displays. Uh, who we are and displays that we're Christians, uh, but we should desire for that love to overflow and actually bring people into 
uh, the beauty of this gospel. So I, I say all of that. So wherever you, maybe one of those fits with you. Maybe you've been the weird or the angry or the non-evangelist in, in one way or another. Maybe you've encountered or tried to wrestle with some of those metaphors. Like, okay, I'm supposed to share the gospel and be excited about it or something. Or I'm supposed to do this or supposed to do that. I just think it's really good uh, for us to acknowledge where we're at personally with evangelism. And it's, acknowledge, it's good to acknowledge our culture and, and the realities that people face uh, when we're trying to share our faith when we desire to evangelize, that way we can move forward with a more clear understanding of where we need wisdom and where we need courage and what it looks like uh, to move forward. So uh, we're going to focus just really on uh, what Jesus says in this statement here, starting in verse 18 and then going on to verse 19 and 20 a bit, where he just says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so three action steps for us. They're not points. They're what Jesus is telling us to go and do, which is simply this, to, to go, to make disciples, and to baptize. So, so go. How, what does it look like for us to go as Christians. Well, one, it looks like us to go wherever we are, like where we live right now, what we're doing right now, the relationships we're in right now, the job we have right now, that we interact in those, in those places as if Jesus sent us there because he has. You maybe have been there for 20 years. Uh, you may have been there for a really long time, uh, but maybe, maybe you've never considered what it, what it should look like and be like to actually live in that spot as if Jesus sent you to that spot. Uh, but Jesus, has, right here, he is doing that very thing. He's telling you to go. And where are you? That's where he has told you to go. And so go to that place and live in that place. Live in the neighborhood you're in. Live in the family you're in. Live in the job that you're in as if you have been sent. Um, and if you do go somewhere else, you should consider, you know what? Is Jesus sending me to this place? It's not like it's always written on the wall. It's not like it's always this clear calling. But is there some kind of evangelistic opportunity in going to this new job and moving to this new neighborhood and going to this new thing? What is, how is Jesus sending me to that place? And how is he wanting me to live uh, in light of him sending me there? So we, wherever we're at, we live in that place as if Jesus has sent us, sent us there because he actually has. Jesus has sent you uh, wherever you find yourself. And then as you go, go in the authority of Jesus that he says he has all authority. Acknowledging his authority and that his presence is with you. And so as we go, we have to, and one of the ways we acknowledge his authority and his power is just simply by prayer. If you want to know where you're living an independent from Jesus kind of life, look for areas of your life of prayerlessness. Like prayerlessness just reveals where we think we've kind of got it figured out, where we think we can kind of do this thing on our own. And when it comes to living sent lives, there's a reason Jesus tells us he has all authority and that he's with us because we are going to desperately need him. And so as we live these sent lives, we need to pray and ask for him because he's the one that's sovereign over all things, including all hearts. And so we ask him to save and redeem and open blind eyes. He's the one that can empower us in those moments of conversation where we feel awkward or not sure what to say or not sure how to do it. And that's where we can pray and ask him to be with us and to help us. He's the one that helps. He's the one that sends the helper to help us in those moments. 
Because those moments aren't just about uh, sharing the gospel with someone. Those moments are about what Jesus is doing in us and, and through us to sanctify us, to show us more of himself. And so we go in the authority and acknowledging the presence of Jesus. If he's really sovereign, if we really want specific people to become Christians, if we really want to engage in evangelism more consistently, we must ask this God to help us uh, in all of these ways. Um, and, and again, this is also a good diagnostic. If you're not needing the authority and presence of Jesus, uh, you might be more concerned uh, with living a safe, comfortable life than the life that God uh, has called you to. And then go consistently, that we would go places consistently, that we'd be intentional about going to the same coffee shops, the same restaurants, the same grocery stores, uh, that relationships is often the best opportunity to talk uh, about what we believe and what others believe. And so going places consistent, consistently helps build those relationships and helps you find more and more opportunities just to get to know people and understand who they are and where they're from and what they believe and uh, often provides opportunities for you to talk about that uh, yourself. And so we, we should go consistently. And then uh, lastly, undergo, we should go together. That evangelism is not an individual effort, but it is a, a whole church kind of effort that we should pray for each other, that we should talk about it with each other. We should invite non-Christians into our community. I'm, I'm reading this book uh, called The Inklings. Uh, if any of y'all are familiar with it, it's uh, C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien and a couple other non-famous people that uh, started this little club um, in Oxford uh, many years ago and, uh, and just talk about... Um, really old stories. Um, and so it's probably what many of y'all get together and do. And, uh, but what's beautiful about this story is it, it's a, basically a biography of this club. And at the beginning of it, you basically get to see C.S. Lewis come to faith in the midst of this community. That there's a handful of Christians that already exist in this community and they're continuing to talk about things and continue to talk about Christianity. And you see this guy that was uh, opposed to believing that there was no God uh, to thinking, okay, maybe there's some God, but Christianity is nonsense to coming to uh, pray and bow his knee uh, to Jesus and come to believe uh, in uh, this gospel. And it's, it's a great picture of community, uh, the, the, the sharing the gospel and evangelism being this community effort. And so, again, you're not maybe not getting together talking about, you know, historical fiction, but you may get together and do whatever you enjoy doing, and you can invite non-Christians into that and uh, hang out and get to know them, uh, that we, we do this kind of thing together. And, and we just have to be comfortable with talking about this as Christians. It's one of the things, like, if we ever feel guilty about anything in the Christian life, obviously evangelism is one of those things where we just often feel guilty about, and so we just don't talk about it. And it keeps us from acknowledging what that looks like in our life or what it doesn't look like in, in our life. And it's a good thing just to talk about and acknowledge and be like, man, it's been so long since I've even thought about that. Or, you know, I've had neighbors for many years and I've never even wanted to uh, think about sharing the gospel with them. Or I have this family member that's really opposed. I don't even know what to do. Like that we can talk about it together and just acknowledge where we're at as often as we need to acknowledge that so we can deal with reality. That's one of the ways community helps us uh, in our evangelism. And then Jesus, again, says, tells us to, second action point is simply to make disciples. Um, the, the reality is we could do all of that going with any number of purposes. Again, you could do it to build your direct marketing business. You could, do, you could do all of that going for those reasons or any number of other purposes that you might have. But Jesus is saying our purpose should be to actually make disciples, not just to win friends and influence people, but to actually make disciples of 
Jesus, which really gets, helps us get to the heart of what evangelism is. I uh, like what, how one book put the definition of evangelism. It just says simply, evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. In, in Luke, in his kind of account of the Great Commission, he says this in Luke 24, 46 through 49. This is Jesus. He's saying, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so in this little passage, we see Luke. We see the gospel that the Christ should suffer and rise on the third day. And then we see the aim. That again, evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. The aim is that people would actually repent and enjoy the forgiveness of their sins. So evangelism involves sharing the gospel with the desire for a person to confess their sins and turn to Jesus in faith. That is what evangelism is. Evangelism, you may, it's, it's, you know, sharing our story is, is an encouraging thing to do and it often can be part of all of this, but sharing our story is not evangelism. Um, the evangelism is sharing the truth of who God is and what he's done and desiring someone to come and believe in that very truth. Um, that's what evangelism is. And so how, how do we do that? What are some kind of maybe some helps as you consider how to get into those conversations or how to navigate those conversations? Um, one, I think it's really helpful. I think it's uh, Francis Schaeffer who was like, you know, evangelism is 90% listening and 10% talking. Um, that, that when we're trying to get to know people, it really is helpful to hear you need, we're all disciples of something. Every person that is living right now is a disciple of something. They're, they're desiring something. They're learning from something. They're following a teaching, a person, a thing. They're, they're, we're all disciples. And it's good to learn that. Like what, what influences people? What do people think? And, and how did they come to believe those things? Uh, just trying to understand people and, and, uh, and what they believe and what they're following is really, really helpful. Uh, asking people questions uh, about that. Um, and, and I think one of the things this helps people do is a lot of people, to be honest with you, is if I've engaged people in conversations in this way, a lot of people actually haven't thought deeply about what they're believing or what they're following or what they're doing. And this gives them the opportunity to do that a little bit more. They'll notice at times that maybe they're contradicting themselves and you're not even really having to do anything. You're just asking them and being curious and they're seeing you know, some of the inconsistencies and, and what they're saying. Not everybody's like that, but some people have not thought deeply and so this would be that opportunity. I think another important thing as we're thinking about making disciples is ask them their previous experience with Christianity or Christians or the church. That can be really helpful to know. Again, maybe they've encountered a ton of weird or angry evangelists or had really awkward interactions or been really hurt by the church or been abused in the midst of a church. There's so many things that can happen in the lives of the people that we're talking to. And so it's good to understand that as much as they're willing uh, to let us know uh, what has happened there. Um, I, I was talking to Randy about this. One, a really good question is just asking people what they think the gospel is. Um, like, hey, what would you say the gospel is? Uh, I, I would say probably half the time I ask that question, I get the first four books of the Bible or some version of that. Um, that that's what people think the gospel is. It's like, oh, one of the, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and, and that's the gospel according to those people. But, but when you hear what people think the gospel is, it gives you the opportunity to affirm what they say, if it's, there's truth in it, or to say, I, don't, no, I understand why you think that, but, but here is actually what the gospel is, uh, asking people those kinds of questions, and then gives you the opportunity to uh, say what the gospel is. 
And I think, you know, as, you're, as we're desiring to make disciples, again, we're desiring to live these sent lives and we're desiring to see real people actually come to faith in Jesus. I think it's important for us to be who we are. That sometimes we see maybe a different evangelist on TV or see someone else who's, you know, kind of t- shares the gospel in, in, in one kind of way or another. But it's important to kind of know and be comfortable with who you are and not necessarily try to just uh, be someone else. Because that way you'll know where you need, you need to be courageous. That's where you, you, maybe you're, you're really good at being courageous but uh, lack, you know, maybe knowledge. Or maybe you know a lot of things but you're really, uh, you know, afraid of stepping out in faith and, and talking to people uh, about your about your faith, but uh, it would be uh, a good thing um, to just try to be who you are and not try to be uh, someone else. Um, and then I think, you know, again, evangelism is sharing the gospel with someone to hope, hoping someone would come to believe in it, but we can't, we can't like uh, sell short all the things in our life that lead to and help represent and show off, like John was saying, like that we share the gospel in word and deed. That the things we do in our life, the way we go about living in our life, the way we go about interacting with people at work, even not when we're explaining the gospel, but just when we're living and doing life and and engaging in conflict and working through things, all of those things matter. And we should desire a consistency to who Jesus is and what he says in those moments. And and, in such a way that even before those that aren't Christians, that when we do fail, when we do sin, that we can acknowledge that before them, saying, man, that is not consistent with what I believe. That is not what God wanted for me or wanted for you. I'm sorry, would you forgive me? That just a consistency of life actually helps show people that the message we're saying is consistent with the life we're living. Um, And sometimes when our life is not lining up, we just try to hide that. Obviously, that goes bad in a a thousand different ways. But when we can just be free to acknowledge those realities more and more uh, and be comfortable to show that, you know what, it's not us who are perfect. Jesus is the only one uh, that is good. Just speaking of evangelism, how much our kids need to see that. How much at at our homes, in our lives, we're uh, we're living around non-Christians often within, uh, within the same house. And when we try to put forth a certain image that doesn't match up with the, the realities of what God says, what they know God says, and they sniff that out in a heartbeat. Uh, whether they acknowledge it or not, they know. And so for us to continually acknowledge our failures before our kids, continually go and tell them, man, I'm sorry, daddy should not have done that. Will you forgive me? Daddy should not have talked to you that way. Daddy should not have treated you that way. Will you forgive me? Um, acknowledging that, man, I am just as much in need of Jesus as you are. Um, and so it's a, another way to, to share the gospel and, and again, uh, the desire to, to make disciples. Um, two two kind of different as we think about making disciples. I think there's two kind of routes and, and they both have their place. One is the organic route. Like where I think when you have people that like at work that you're in relationship with pretty consistently, to be honest with you, for me, this worked out pretty well. That there were just a ton when I was at the post office, uh, there was just a ton of organic times to talk about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And so I wasn't, I didn't have to like plan times or be really structured about it. There was just lots of opportunity there, and that maybe suited my personality, so that's how it worked. But I've known other people. It's actually uh, Jeremy Figali, who I was talking to the other day, and um, he uh, he was talking about how when he goes at work, he'll just say, hey, I'm a Christian. If you want to get dinner and talk about what that means, I- I'd love to do that with you sometime. Um, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> and so and so, so sometimes those really clear opportunities are just clear. Hey, this is what's going on. This is who I am. I'd love to talk to you more about that. That kind of uh, it'd be great. I actually sent a text to a friend just recently. Hold on one second. <coughs> Sorry, 
um, where I just said, hey, you know what? It's been a really long time, and I don't know that we've ever got an extended time to talk about spiritual things. What you believe, because they're a pretty spiritual person, and, what I, and if you'd be willing, I'd love to hear more about what you believe, and if you desire just to talk to you about what I believe. And they were like, I'd love to do that. So there wasn't this organic opportunity, but it, you know, just set up an opportunity. That's one of the things, one of the ways we can go about making disciples. And then lastly, um, that we should baptize. And, and really what this gets at is the heart of, give me water? That's so sweet. Uh, thank you. Um, so uh, the, uh, what baptism really gets at is the role of the church. Listen to, um, in his book uh, on evangelism, Max Stiles says this. It says, in one sense, all churches have a culture of evangelism of one kind or another. Even churches that reject evangelism have a culture of evangelism, though an unbiblical one. The question isn't, do we have a culture of evangelism, but is our culture of evangelism sick or healthy? I would like to make the case that the biggest reason churches, of, churches evangelism cultures are sick is not that we have fear of man or that we don't have the right strategy or method of evangelism, as big as those issues may be, but that we do not understand the church, uh, that the, the role of the church in evangelism, that so much, uh, even if you think about evangelism movements, are just about creating more and more converts as, as opposed to bringing people into uh, this beautiful thing that God has died for, uh, that he is inviting people into, which is the church. Uh, that that our, our desire for evangelism cannot be separated in any way uh, from the church. And that's why we have to be in evangelism about relationships with people over programs or numbers or manipulation. And, and if we're just honest, that happens a good bit in the church. But I, I think about altar calls where ushers go down first um, just to kind of model for people what it looks like to walk down an aisle and to, to be honest with you, pretend as if people are coming forward in the altar call um, just to convince other people to come down. There's a, there's a level of manipulation there. Um, and, and there's just a, obviously we want anybody that could ever hear the gospel to come to know and believe. And so obviously there's a number attached to that, but man, our hearts just go sideways really quick when it comes to numbers. Um, and so we have to be about people. That's, that's what presses against all of that. Knowing and loving actual people, uh, being in relationship with people and wanting specific people to actually come to know Jesus and who he is and the life that can only be found uh, in him. And so we have to be over re about relationships more than programs or numbers and, and manipulation. Um, we should be more concerned about who is being baptized than the number of people being baptized. Um, and not just being baptized, but living a life that obeys all that Jesus commanded uh, that we'll get into next week. I'm going to close with just this picture from this book, uh, this book by Max Stiles, uh, another pastor, David Platt. He writes the foreword. And he just provides this beautiful picture of a, a culture of evangelism uh, within the midst of this church. And so I'm just going to read it for you. Um, he's talking about a gist of conversations that happened as he was visiting and preaching at this church that had a culture of evangelism. He said, so, hi, my name is Abdul, one man said to me. I grew up as a Muslim, but a couple of years ago, God graciously saved me from my sins and myself through Christ. That's wonderful, I responded. How did you hear the gospel? Through my friendship with Mac, Abdul said. He asked me one day if I wanted to read through the Gospel of Mark with him. I told him I was willing, and within a few months, the Holy Spirit had opened my heart to believe. Then I turned to another man who introduced himself. Hey, I'm Rajesh. I was a Hindu all of my life until someone invited me to this church. 
I didn't know anything about Christianity until I got here. But Mac and others started meeting with me and showing me who Christ is and what Christ has done. I was overwhelmed, and after exploring all sorts of questions that I had with Mac, I trusted in Christ for my salvation. Behind Abdul and Rajesh was Matthew. Matthew said to me, I grew up a nominal Christian, devoid of any relationship with Christ. But last year, God opened my eyes to what faith in Christ truly means. I repented of my sins, and I believed in him. Let me guess, I said, Mac led you to Christ, right? No, Matthew said, Abdul and Rajesh did. They spent hours with me in the scriptures, showing me what it means to follow Christ. Then Matthew asked me, can I introduce you to Stephen? He's a friend of mine who's exploring Christianity right now, and he came with me to the church gathering this morning. These conversations went on and on with person after person. I stood literally amazed by the grace of God, not just upon one Christian passionate about sharing the gospel, but upon an entire community passionate about sharing the gospel. As I looked around, I observed a contagious culture of evangelism across the church. It is a culture of evangelism that is not ultimately dependent on events, projects, programs, and ministry professionals. Instead, it is a culture of evangelism that is built on people filled with the power of God's spirit, proclaiming the gospel of God's grace in the context of their everyday lives and relationships. And so brothers and sisters, whether it happens or not, we should pray for this till our dying day, that, 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 that God would, whether you're at Northbrook or some other church, that God would do this kind of work here, that, that, that God would use us and work through us in such a way to create this kind of culture of, of evangelism. Again, where we're not dependent on one thing or another, but seeing the Spirit work through all of us uh, to do uh, what only He could do. And so let me pray for us towards that end. Jesus, I, I, I think about even how you were sent to us, that you tell us to go, but it's because you came. Uh, I think about as you call us to make disciples and evangelize and share your gospel, Holy Spirit, you have shared your gospel with us. Maybe it was through a family member, maybe it was through growing up in a family of faith, maybe it was through a friend or a sermon, but Holy Spirit, you opened our eyes to the beauty of who Jesus is and what he has done. And you have shared the gospel with us and you call us to do that with others. And ultimately, Jesus, how much you love your church, that you gave your life for her. And so that as we share the gospel and desire to see people come to know and believe upon you, that we long to see them vibrant parts of your, your body, your church, using the gifts you've given them, living out of the experiences that you've given them for the comfort and glory uh, for the comfort of your people and the glory of your name. And so, God, we ask you to do this work. Would you create a culture of evangelism in this place? Not one that's based on guilt of something we need to be doing, but something that genuinely is an overflow of the love in which you have showed us. Um, we need that. We need your help. We long for that. Uh, we even confess that we uh, are far from that confess where we are and where we've been at the churches we've been a part of at this church now we desire what to what you to do what only you can do um, and spirit would you if there's anybody in here who has not received that love would they even now would you open their eyes to know and understand the depths and the beauty and the love that you've shown them in the life death and resurrection of jesus we pray in jesus name amen so I'm going to read, sorry, oh, you can go, but I'm gonna, I just, there's a, Psalm 89 was the, um, 
psalm for yesterday, if you're following along in the CBR journal. And it just starts off so well as we think about singing in verse 1. It kind of ties all of this together. In Psalm 89.1, it says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. And so as we sing even now of the steadfast love that God has shown us, we are making known his love to all generations. And so we should sh- sing with that kind of desire and that kind of passion and that, that kind of goal.